Well, we come now to the reading for our sermon today in Colossians chapter 2. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles, either on your phone or a Bible in front of you. Colossians chapter 2. I'll be reading from verse 16 all the way to verse 23. So church family, let's hear God's word. Colossians 2, starting in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, in not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me pray for us as we get started tonight. Father in heaven, we come before you and we know our hearts are often prone to turn to other things and to worship other things, to look to other things, to trust in other things other than your son, Jesus. We ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your help tonight that as we look to your word that you would strengthen us. And help us to hold fast to your son, Jesus Christ. And help us to persevere in our faith as we seek to walk in him in this world. So help us tonight. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Give us ears that are open and ready to hear all that you would have us hear in your word. And hearts that are ready to receive your word, eyes that are ready to see the truth in your word. So we ask for your help by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I wonder if anyone has uh, ever taught you to stand up for yourself. Maybe it was on a playground and you need to stand up for yourself or stand against a bully that tried to run you over each recess. Or maybe it was on the sports field and you're trying to stand up for yourself or stand against an opponent refusing to let them in or gain an inch at all. Or maybe it was in the office, standing up for yourself and not getting pushed around or pushed to the side by dominant coworkers. You see, no matter what stage of life we find ourselves in, it is good to be taught and trained how to stand up for ourselves and stand against the pressure that we may face. In some sense, Paul 
In this chapter, in this section, Paul is training and teaching the Colossians to stand up for themselves, to stand against the pressure of human religion. But it's not standing in their own strength or their own confidence. You see, Paul has reminded them of all that Christ has accomplished for them. He is calling them to do this in Christ. He wants them to stand up for themselves, to stand against the pressure of human religion. See, in the book of Colossians, Paul's been describing throughout, as we've gone through this series this summer, what this church is facing. If you just look back one chapter to verse 23, Paul describes the future hope that awaits the church of Christ. And he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, there was potential of shifting from their original hope. Chapter two, verse four, Paul writes This letter, in part, so that the church would not be deluded or swayed by any plausible argument. It boils down to actually the text from last week that Pastor Dan Hibben preached on, chapter 2, verse 8. They face the threat of being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So more than a bully on the playground or opponents on the sports field, Paul is actually describing this imagery of a battlefield. This was a wartime threat with wartime dangers, and there was an enemy that was seeking to take them captive, to kidnap them, to make them prisoners of war with no freedom, but only bondage to their ways. False teachers with human religion threatened to carry these Christians away from Christ. You see, Paul is teaching the church to stand up for themselves and stand against this false teaching. It's almost as if he is doing some theological self-defense. He's teaching the church how to protect itself from the pressures of human religion. See, coming off this beautiful picture that Pastor Dan painted for us from the scriptures in verses 8 through 15 on the fullness and the freedom that we have found in Christ, our section starts in verse 16. Therefore, therefore, this high theology fortifies and trains the church to resist and stand against the pressure that's being placed upon them by these false teachers. And he's doing that because there's a temptation that they're going to be taken captive. They're going to be deluded by these arguments that they're going to shift from the hope of the gospel. So what is it? What is it that protects the church from being carried away from Christ? It's this. Know what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing what we have in Christ protects us from being carried away from Christ. When they try to judge you, he'll say, know what you have in Christ. When they try to disqualify you, he'll say, know what you have in Christ. When they pressure you to submit to regulations, he'll say, know what you have in Christ. It is theological self-defense, protecting the church from becoming a prisoner of war. 
Knowing what we have in Christ protects us from being carried away from Christ. Look at the start with me, verses 16 and 17. Paul is first teaching us this. In Christ, we have the real deal. Don't let anyone judge you because in Christ, you have the real deal. You see, some in the community were pronouncing some kind of spiritual judgment on the Colossians. They were criticizing them, even condemning them. It might be summed up in this way. You don't measure up because you don't do what we do. (laughs) False teachers pressuring these new Christians to get on their level and in doing so wanting to take them captive away from Christ. It was related to what seems to be some kind of Jewish-like dietary laws or observances of, of religious days. It was related to their behavior. So criticism, even condemnation, comes if others do not do what they do. It seems here that an underlying emphasis of this false teaching, as we look at the book of Colossians, was a desire to find true spiritual fullness. And so these teachers may have said something like like this, getting started with Jesus is fine, but we've graduated from that a long time ago. We must go on to something new. And so they turn to religious behavior as a checklist or even a conduit for them to find spiritual fullness. But here we have Paul seeking to train and to protect the church. And what he does is he exposes the error of human religion. You see, we don't graduate from the person of Christ to go on to the practice of religion. We don't pursue spiritual performance in order to find spiritual fullness. We don't check the boxes of behavior to climb the ladder of spirituality. You see, these dietary laws, these religious observances of certain days, Paul says they are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In Christ you have the real deal. The Jewish practices of the Old Testament that these false teachers seem to be enforcing are simply a a shadow. They prepared for, they pointed to, they provided patterns of what was to come ultimately in Jesus. Shadow versus substance. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who, who described the illustration of a candle lighting up a dark room until the shade is flung open and the sunshine pours in and floods that light with new light, with sunlight, and a candle is no longer needed. You have the sun. You have real light. The Christian has the real deal, not a shadow, but the substance Not a candle, but the sun. Religious pressure to do religious activity, to get a level up in spirituality. Have you ever felt that pressure? Have you ever felt the pressure? I will finally fill up my spiritual life 
once I can fill up my spiritual to-do list. Now, this doesn't mean that there's no action in the Christian life or that there's no call to do something as those who are in Christ. Come back next week and you're going to learn about a Christ-centered way of living. But Paul is speaking about doing. Paul is speaking about practices and behaviors that are not according to Christ and are not in light of Christ. So college church, don't let anyone judge or condemn you about legalistic human religion. Are you still looking for spiritual fullness, for a level up in spirituality, and you're trying to get your fill with a spiritual to-do list? Paul is saying, stop going to the shadows. Stop going to the candle. Go to the substance. Go to the sunlight. Go to Christ. Or maybe You're meeting with other believers or you're spending time with a new believer. It might be helpful for you to ask tonight, are you giving people a shadow or are you giving people Christ? What does that look like in your time with other Christians? Paul is saying in Christ, we have the real deal, the substance, the one who fulfills all of God's promises and gives us fullness of life. The pressure of false teaching and human religion, what does it do? It, it threatens to take us captive. And Paul teaches us, along with these Colossian believers of old, to stand up against these attacks with this theological self-defense. What protects us from being carried away from Christ? It's knowing what we do have in Christ. And what do we have in Christ? We have the real deal. Not a fading shadow, but the substance. But Paul continues, verse 18. He wants us to know what we have in Christ. So secondly, in Christ, you have real nourishment. You have real nourishment. Don't let anyone disqualify you because in Christ, you have real nourishment. What else was this church facing? It wasn't just pressure to do what we do. It was also the pressure that was communicated something like, you don't measure up because you don't experience what we experience. And so they tried to disqualify these Christians for their lack of spiritual experiences. They were not part of the inner circle who had reached a higher level. This word that, that Paul uses, disqualify, it's, it's like the idea of an umpire or a, a referee. I, I took my boys to a White Sox game the other week. And if you're watching a baseball game, much is riding on an umpire. <laughs> he determines the ball or the strike, the safe or the out, the fair or the foul. He has power to make judgments and even pronouncements upon players, even ejecting a player from the game that they are playing. So too, these these false teachers, they were watching and they were looking to see if the Colossians would meet the standard of experience. 
If they didn't meet the experiential standard, they were DQ'd. They were ejected. And so this was a self-imposed spiritual umpiring that they were doing, refereeing, to make these Christians feel insecure and question what they have in Christ. See, what was it that described these false teachers in verses 18 through 19? I was helped by commentator Doug Moo here at our church. He described it in in this way. He says, they put a great deal of stock in ascetic practices, perhaps to induce visions, to, to give them some level of experience. They are so concerned with calling on angels as a means of protection, this worship of angels that they had, maybe calling out to them, crying out to them for a sense of protection in life. They focus on visions that they have experienced and they display an arrogance that reveals a worldly orientation. Paul is exposing the air and the arrogance and ultimately the emptiness of the religious experiences they are pursuing apart from Jesus Christ. They're puffed up without reasons. They're like a balloon filled with air that is ready to be popped in an instant. See, they were trying to connect to spiritual experience, but they were disconnected from Jesus Christ. They weren't looking to hold fast to Christ. And how is Christ described right here? The the head, the head over all things, even the church. They were seeking spiritual experiences to find spiritual growth. But what is Paul teaching here? He teaches that the soul can only be nourished and can only grow if it is connected to Christ. Christian, don't let anyone disqualify you because of some human standard of religious experience. Paul has already said in chapter 1, verse 12, that God has qualified us to receive an inheritance with the saints through Christ. It's a different word he uses, but it's the same concept that has already happened for us in and through Jesus Christ. Christ nourishes those who are already qualified, knits us together as his body, sustaining us, supporting us, God gives the church body the growth that it longs for as it is connected to Jesus Christ. So what are you connected to tonight? What spiritual experiences are you seeking after? Are you ultimately holding fast to Jesus? But not only that, as you are interacting with the family of God and those within this community, what are you connecting others to? Are you ultimately connecting them to Jesus? Know what we have in Christ. We have the real deal, not a shadow. Know what we have in Christ. We have real nourishment in Jesus Christ. Not this false, fake, empty, arrogant way. See, the pressure of human religion It it forces upon people a list of do's and don'ts to find spiritual fullness. 
It forces upon us spiritual experience that we must have to find fullness and maturity, to be a part of that inner circle. How do we defend and protect ourselves against this? We know what we have in Christ. Real nourishment. There's there's no true spiritual experience or spiritual fullness or spiritual growth apart from Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what do we do? We hold fast. We stay connected to him and we receive the the sap and the support and the nourishment that only Christ provides as the head of the body. But Paul goes on. He continues to to help us as we strive to protect ourselves against the things that want to carry us away from Jesus Christ. But Paul shifts a bit in verse 20. It's interesting. He argues now by means of of logic. He was doing this theological self-defense of saying, don't let them do this. Don't let them do this. But now he shifts the conversation a bit, a bit and he asks for some self-examination and self-reflection by way of logic to say, if this is true of you, then why are you living this way? And so he's causing them to examine their, not, their lives, not simply expose the errors of the false teachers. So thirdly, know what we have in Christ, in Christ We have real wisdom and power. So don't submit, Paul is going to say, to human regulations because in Christ we have real wisdom and power. So let's consider this, these logical implications that Paul is laying before us of the theology that we have and the relationship that we have with Christ. What does he say in verse 20? He says, if with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of the world. He could, have, he could have just said, Christian, you died with Christ. But he doesn't do that. He poses it as a logical question because he wants us to consider the logical outcome of our theology. The theology is this, that by faith, we have spiritually died with Jesus and we are in Jesus. We have been set free from something. Namely, what he describes as the evil spiritual powers and the ways that are in opposition to God. These once enslaved us and we lived in submission to them. And yet now we have died with Christ and we have been set free away from these things. So Paul says, if, if that is true, why do you live as though you still belong to that world? by submitting to its regulations. Paul is revealing for them and and even for us how our minds so often act irrationally. (laughs) So we've been set free from prison. We've been set free from bondage. Why go back to it? It it reminded me of, of my high school basketball coach. Anytime I did something wrong, he would stop the practice. He would put his arms like this and he would just simply say, why? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Ben, why? (laughs) It's like, what's what's the logic, Ben? 
Why, why would you do that? I don't, I don't get it. Well, in the same way for Paul, he's exposing the inconsistency of our thinking with our theology. Colossian church, why? <laughs> College church, why? If you have died with Christ, why? <laughs> well, this is what we need to hear. And this is why we need the Bible taught to us over and over to correct and to reorient our thinking as the inconsistencies with our theology are exposed and the inconsistencies with our living. But Paul does more than just expose the error in our own thinking. He also exposes the problem with the false teaching. He, he continues on. What does he list? He lists their motto or the taglines, and he summarizes the regulations according to the elemental spirits of the world, according to human traditions, the regulations that are not according to Christ. What does he say? It's do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You see, this, this way, it was a, a life of extreme abstinence or avoidance, not enjoying the good things and right things in life, but simply resisting them. In essence, it was an effort to deplete yourself so that you might fill yourself. Don't dare enjoy the things of the world if you dare to make progress in your spirituality. And Paul is saying nonsense. Nonsense. The human regulations, the legalistic practices, the mystical experiences, and this ascetic avoidances. He says this way of doing things, it simply perishes with use, according to verse 21 and 22. It's simply according to human teaching and human ways. It has nothing to do with the divine. They don't last. They are empty. And very simply, they do not work. Verse 23 tells us, it's a facade of spiritual help. It does not work to stop the indulgence of the flesh. All people, over all time, have tried all kinds of ways to stop the indulgences of the flesh and to change our sinful patterns of life. But Paul is saying there's no human philosophy and there's no human religion or no human practice, no human avoidance that can stop the indulgence of my ways of sin apart from Jesus Christ. It is only Christ. So extreme abstinence or extreme avoidance according to human regulations and teachings apart from the Lord Jesus Christ will not stop our indulgence in its fleshly sinful passions. We must be connected to Jesus, hold fast to Christ, and depend on Jesus, receiving in him the fullness and the freedom that we are longing for and that we need. What is Paul teaching us? He's been teaching us that the practices 
and the experiences and, and the teachings of human religion and what it ultimately does not have. You see, we need to know what we do not have with human religion. With human religion, we do not have the real deal, but we have a shadow. With human religion, we do not have real nourishment, but we have an empty balloon that will pop in a moment. With human religion, we do not have real power, but all we have is something that's of no value in stopping the indulgence of our flesh. But college church, what do we have in Christ. What do we have according to the book of Colossians? You see, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we have the one who created all things and sustains all things. In Christ, we have the one who is resurrected from the dead, who reconciles us to God and gives us peace with God. In Christ, we have the hope of glory. In Christ, we have the one in whom all wisdom and understanding and knowledge are found. In Christ, we have the fullness of deity that dwells bodily. In Christ, we have the one who overcame the evil powers in the heavenly places, triumphing over them, giving us victory. In Christ, we have the real deal. In Christ, we have real nourishment. In Christ, we have real power and real wisdom. Christian, that is what you have in Christ. And as we know this, it protects us against the sway and the pressure and the temptation that we will face from human religion or teachings or philosophy that are attempting to take us captive and take us away from Jesus Christ. So what do we need to do as we walk out these doors is we need to know what we have in Christ. Paul has been teaching us and training us in theological self-defense so that we can stand up against the threats of human religion. What's going to protect us? It's knowing what we have in Christ, holding fast to him in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for all that we have in Christ, all that you've done for us in Christ, all that you've given us in Christ. And I pray that we would not lose sight of him and be carried away by anything that would seek to replace him. But Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us and nourish us and give us the power to put to death the deeds of the flesh and our indulgences that can only happen if we're united to Jesus and we're found in him and we're holding fast to him. So we look to you tonight. We ask for your help. Pray that you would be honored even in our singing as we turn to you now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.